morning to the Word of God. Let's go to 2 Corinthians chapter 2, if you would. 2 Corinthians chapter 2. Put on the Lord Jesus, number 732. <laughs> uh, we're not there yet, but I'm heading that away. Hallelujah. One day the Lord will say, that's enough. But until then, we're going to go. I looked up the word sinner in the New Testament. Because that's what we've been looking at, the, 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 the born again man versus the unregenerate man, the sinner. And did you know, I did not know, that the word sinner is barely in the New Testament. For all that's contrived and preached and hollered at and, and wailed on, you'd think that I'm an old sinner saved by grace would be all over the Bible. But actually, I found it in three epistles. One of them talked about if you save a sinner, you save a soul from death. So that really doesn't have anything to do with sinners. Another one said, uh, uh, there's an argument made by Paul that said, if we act like sinners, should we act like sinners so God will get more glory? So that really is not condemning a man or a woman for their behavior. And the third example was that it said, if the righteous are barely saved, what happens to the sinner? And there wasn't anything there that wails on it and said, well, sinners are going to hell and sinners are damned and judged and all that, which not denying that's true, but it's not a big subject in the New Testament. Isn't that surprising? I certainly was just. Like when I found out one day that the word faith is not in the Old Testament except one time, and it's not really talking about faith in that. So we got to get our we got to get the the headlines to be the headlines, and leave alone everything that's not. Need need the major on the majors, and leave everything else pretty much alone. Would y'all agree with that? Amen. That's what we do. Our priorities is the measure of a spiritual man, a spiritual woman. It's not how many Bible verses you can quote. It's your priorities. What do you put first? That tells everything right there. In Corinthians, 2 Corinthians chapter 2, look in verse 14 with me. Let's see if I'm in the right spot here. Verse 14 says, Now thanks be unto God, which always causes us to triumph in Christ. Isn't that a good verse? I like that word always. It's just got a, a sound of absolute. Thanks be unto God, which always causes us to triumph in Christ. Melissa just gave us a testimony about triumphing in Christ. That's, that's where it came from. And then it goes on, comma, and maketh manifest the savor of his knowledge by us. In every place. What a powerful verse. And maketh manifest, reveals the savor, the aroma of his knowledge. Knowledge has an aroma, a savor. And it's by us in every place. Thanks be unto God. For we are unto God a sweet savor of Christ in them that are saved and in them that perish. So when you come into a room without saying a word, Everybody knows you're there. Creatures in the unseen realm, demons and, and angels. 
The Lord knows you're there. The devil knows you're there. And people know you're there. Never discount the unspoken presence that you have in a place. For we are unto God a sweet savor of Christ in them that are saved and in them that perish. To the one we are the savor of death unto death. And the other the savor of life unto life. And who is sufficient for these things? So there's a conviction on each one of us when we come into a room. They say, and no doubt about it, it's, it's testified, it's recorded, that Charles Finney, one of the greatest revivalists that's ever lived, would get on a train to travel. And as he would walk down the aisle to get to his seat, people would fall out and start crying. Oh, God, save me. I'm a, I'm a worthless sinner. Oh, God. And they would come under conviction by the savor of the knowledge of who he was. Smith Wigglesworth was a commanding presence. And that he, every 15 minutes, he would stop whatever he was doing and give praise to God and read the word. You know, people say, I'd like to be like him, but there was certainly a cost to being like that. The Amplified says, therefore, if any person, excuse me, 2 Corinthians 5, let me, let's go there. Verse 17, this is where we are. We're talking about putting on the Lord Jesus. Let's point to ourselves this morning at the beginning. Let's point to ourselves and say, hey, you, hey, you. Put, on put on the Lord Jesus. So you'll do what you say. Whatever you command, that's what you'll believe in and that's what you'll do. Verse 17 says, therefore, chapter 5 of 2 Corinthians, therefore, therefore, said all that in verse 1 to 16, said all that to say, therefore, if any man, if anybody, if anyone be in Christ, be in Christed, be born again, he is a new creature. Old things are passed away. Behold, all things are become new. It's a transitional scripture that gives us an insight into the covenant. Some people believed in predestination in the, in the sense of if God wants you saved, you will be. And if God doesn't want you saved, you can't be. Crazy. The Amplified says, therefore, if any person is engrafted in Christ, engrafted. Well, you know what grafting is, is when you take something off of something else make a place for it in another body, especially a tree. You cut a sliver in the new tree and put a branch into that, tie it up, it'll, it'll grow. If any man be in, a person is engrafted in Christ, he is a new creation, a new creature altogether. I'm a new creature altogether. I'm a new creature altogether. Altogether. Stem to CERN, top to bottom. The old previous moral and spiritual condition has passed away. Behold, the fresh and new has come. Yay. Boy, there's nothing more valuable than knowing who you are. And yet, looking out there across the Christian world, I would say it's rare for anybody to say, I know who I am in Christ. What Melissa said this morning was an amazing proclamation. She said, uh, she said, you don't, you don't, know who you, who'd you, you don't know who you're messing with? Yeah. 
Demons are afraid of me. The Deef says a true Christian is not merely a man altered, but a man remade. Brother Hagin used to talk about the old man being annihilated and then replaced. Lobbock says, for if a man is in Christ, he is created anew. The man he was passed away. And behold, a new man has been created. Now, there's a lot of gravity in this verse. And everybody will say, oh, yeah, I believe that. I, yeah, I get it. I get it. But you only get what you act out or what you consummate, what we follow through based on that truth. I talked about, and she said it, about an MSRP. And I showed you Wednesday night the MSRP on our little car. Everybody's got one, whether you save it or not. But it tells you everything that's on that vehicle. And if it's not on the vehicle and it's on the MSRP, then you don't have to pay the price that's at the end of it. This is a 35 grand, 36, whatever it was, 35, is what they say the MSRP, the manufacturer's suggested retail price. But the main thing is, is it tells you how much it is, what it's worth, so you can compare like apples to apples. You know, if like, okay, here's, here's the same car. Well, the MSRP tells you this one's, this one's got this and this one's got that and this one over here doesn't, it should be a different price. Well, so we need to know what our value is by knowing what the MSRP of our life is. What, what's under the hood? What's, what's on the dash? What, what's in the seats? What does this thing do? What can it do? It's in the MSRP and we need to know what our MSRP is and this is where we find it. It's, it's accurate. And if you find that it says it's in there and you don't see it in your life, we don't complain to the Lord and say it's not here. He'll say, go find it because it is there. It is there. Say it with me. It is there. Amazing things. Jesus himself said, greater works than I do will you do. Lord, that's a lot of MSRP. I, you know, we don't believe that. Greater is he that is in you than he that is in the world. Well, Lord, I'm afraid of half the things in the world, some people might say. He said, well, you got the wrong. You're not reading the MSRP. You're not reading the word because it's in there. So what we have to do is read it and then go find it. I told you Wednesday, there were some things on our car that I don't know what they do, and I'm not, I don't need what they do. They tell me, this will do this. I don't want to do that. I don't want to. I'm, uh, we've got a computer here on the church grounds that's still got Windows 7. Barry told me I could hold on to it forever. He said, don't get on the Internet, but you can hold on. Well, so if... If you get a steak at a restaurant and they bring it to you and you, you eat a few bites of it and you decide this isn't what I ordered. The menu was the MSRP and it said, here's what you're going to get and here's the cost. It's an MSRP. Is that right? So they deliver it and you find out, well, I'm, they're going to charge me what they said they would charge me, but this isn't what I got. Well, what do we do? We send it back. Well, y'all probably don't, but I do. 
you know, either that or they can sit there and adjust with me and say, well, this is an $18 steak. And then I'll say, well, it's not. It's not an $18 steak. It's a $9 steak. But you send it back and they'll bring you a born again steak. Because because of the health laws, they can't put it back on the griddle. You may you may have the Hong Kong fooey or something and they don't they don't want to spread that around. So they bring you a born again steak. Are you all hearing this? It's a new creation. They don't warm up and say, we'll get the old one right. We'll upgrade what we brought you. They bring you a new one. It's happened to me. It's happened to you. It should happen to you because they don't always get it right. If you, there's a lemon law for cars. I don't know if it's for other things, but it says if, if, you, if, you, if they didn't deliver to you what there was on the MSRP, it fails, it's faulty, it's, it's not working. You can follow a certain procedure and they'll give you a brand new one. They'll, they'll try to fix it up. They'll try to fix it, but then if they can't, they have to bring you an old one, so a new one. So it's kind of like your old one. You drop it off at the factory and they don't just say, well, we'll rewire this and we'll upgrade that. They don't. But technically, they send that car to a grinder and bring you a born again car. That's not exactly how it works, but that's how the end result is. You don't care what they do with the old car. So a brand new car runs off the assembly line with your name on it. We are a new creation. We, we need, I'm trying to get us to think in terms that we already accept and live by in other areas, but that we're challenged with to believe of what the Lord Jesus did to us. But if what he did to us isn't true, if it's not true, then you're in a heap of trouble. You need everything that's on the MSRP to win in the world, to win at the devil, like Melissa said, we're in the world, but we sure not, we're not of this thing. We, we've come from a new, that's what that means. We've come from a new place. We didn't just get upgraded. Well, I made you bulletproof. No, we didn't get made anything. We are bulletproof from the beginning. So the new birth is not just an upgrade. It's not a certified model. It's not a moral upgrade or an ethical upgrade. It's somebody that's never been here before. And the truth is, the, the new birth, it's really the new birth is more, more real than your natural birth. Does anybody remember the room, what it looked like on the first day they were born? I mean, does anybody remember? Yeah, I remember that place. Yeah, that was room 106. I saw it on the way out. No. We don't know where we were. They tell you if they tell you, they'll tell you and they make it up and lie to you. But the new birth, you got to observe it. You got to sit there and watch it. Now, you didn't have any feelings, but at the regular birth, you didn't have any feelings. They did anything. They did anything they wanted to you. They uh, there was a salty little nurse. She was 80 something in uh, Brownfield, Texas, when Colin was born and we watched it. She grabbed that little hunk of stuff and 
she took him over to the sink and measured the temperature of the water and then stuck him under it to wash him off. Well, she crammed his head into the faucet. Bonk. And the little, the little guy started to wail, and she says, oh, hush that up. That didn't hurt. Well, he doesn't remember a thing about it. His mother about lost it, but he, he never said a word. So I witnessed the new birth. I was there. Did you have to have feelings? Well, when you get healed, you don't always have feelings. Matter of fact, the feelings may intensify. It, it, sometimes it goes in reverse because you're in this world and the devil's got some things there. Turn with me to 2 Corinthians chapter 6. You're right there. Let's look in verse 14. Now, I, don't, I wouldn't offend you for anything this morning, but I will remind you that we're in a meat-eating church. And the milk is gone. It soured a long time ago. <laughs> we just weren't drinking it. And I, I endeavor, this is what I do, this is what I've always done, is to set the bar high. So the whiners are not here. You can whine in any church in town and they'll say, they won't even put you in the whiner section. They'll just say, sit down anywhere. That's a joke, y'all. Okay. So we endeavor to set the bar high to what the word calls to provoke us to love and good works. The word there, the operative word is provoke. People say, I like someone to step on my toes. Their toes have never been stepped on. Never. Well, I'm going to leave that alone because sometimes I get off when I get there. 14, verse 14, chapter 6. Be ye not... Be ye not unequally yoked together with unbelievers. Did y'all read that? It's in the Bible. And then he, he gives the cause for it. Sometimes you, he, they don't say why. But he does here. He says, for what fellowship hath righteousness with unrighteousness? So in this description, he begins to describe the unbeliever. Y'all see that? He, he begins to tell you what that looks like. What fellowship hath righteousness with unrighteousness? So the unbeliever is not just not saved. They're unrighteous. And what communion hath light with darkness? Darkness. Well, no, they're just like me. We go to the same, our kids go to the same school and we go to the same racket club and, and we, you know, whatever, whatever and all this. Darkness. Darkness. We're going to make a point this morning. And, and, verse 15, and what concord, what agreement, hath Christ with Belial? Now, he's getting personal here. He's starting to use pronouns instead of just saying darkness and unrighteousness. He says that unbelievers are the same as a demon God. Demon God. A demon God. I mean, really? My neighbor, sweetie, she is, and nice guy that he is. Demon God, Belial. Ooh. 
Or what part hath he that believeth with an infidel? I don't really know what that means. I know it means an unbeliever. But if you have, there are certain religions that infidel is someone that's worthy of death. They don't like infidels. We tolerate them in wholesale lots. We pay no attention. No attention to them. Well, then verse 16, he's, he's not through it. And what agreement hath the temple of God with idols? Pretty, pretty graphic. For ye are the temple of the living God. As God has said, I will dwell in them and walk in them. And I will be their God and they shall be my people. The passion says, don't continue to team up with unbelievers in mismatched alliances. For what partnership is there between righteousness and rebellion? Oh, rebellion. Rebellion's not just a passive, I'm not joined with you. Rebellion is, I'm against you and I'm doing everything I can to usurp you. Rebellion's got a whole other active ingredient in it. Who could mingle light with darkness? What harmony can there be between Christ and Satan? Oh, he just went for the jugular there. Satan? Really? My neighbor is Satan? Really? Or what does a believer have in common with an unbeliever? What friendship does God temple have with demons? For indeed, we are the temple of the living God, just as God has said, I will make my home in them and walk among them. I will be their God and they will be my people. We are not who they are. And if you want to go where the word says you should go, you are redeemed to go, that you are destined to go, that you are legacied to go. The healed, the whole and the healthy, the full, the supplied, the wealthy. Demons are afraid of me. If you want to go there, you've got to make this, you've got to agree with this. Well, I don't want to. These are nice people. And they don't hurt nobody. I mean, they don't hurt anyone. And I don't get it. And I don't think they are demons and devils and Satan and darkness and rebellion. I don't like that. I don't want that. I don't, I, he's my best golf buddy. And he and we eat supper together all the time and 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 they loan us movies. The world will bring you down to their size. I, when I was in the Baptist church. It was a part of our evangelism outreach in a small town. We were in a small town. And we would have domino parties, and that was to get the, the people that, whether they were lost or unsaved or sinners or what, or if they were just not going to our church, wasn't going to church anywhere, to get them to used to us, we would have them have a potluck, and then we would play dominoes. And what our whole theme was is to see that we wanted to show those people that we're normal, that we're like you. Therefore, you can come in with us because we're not weird. We're not strange. We have no outlying beliefs. We're just like you. And if you eat our, our, our uh, uh, macaroni and cheese and play dominoes and we throw it so you can win, you'll be so happy with us. You'll come to church on Sunday, which will validate us with the Lord. Look, I'm out winning the lost. 
They ate my macaroni and cheese. We, that, was, that was a known strategy in the church. That's, that's how we did it. We want them to see that, they are like, that we are like they are. And we testified to our own ignorance and our own demise. We, we were saying, we're nothing special. We're just like you. We just believe in Jesus. And we believe we want to go to heaven. And you can go to heaven too. That was the whole thing. You can go. Once we nail that down, once you sign the contract, I will make monthly payments for this insurance policy or whatever people do. Once you make that deal, I want to be a Christian. I want to ask Jesus into my heart. I want to go to heaven. We're done with you. You can now you can come and eat our macaroni and cheese every every time we do it. But we're not going to be trying to get you in the net. We're just going to be you're going to be part of the team that's going to get somebody to eat our macaroni. Ephesians chapter five. If we live like they live, if we accommodate them and this is going to sound a little rough, this is going to. But you got to let me have the end of the message, the whole thing through. But if we accommodate these people with that mindset, they will always they will. You don't think so. We don't th don't know how, but they will bring us into their level. We will not win when we go to their level to bring them up. If we go into the bar to tell them to show them that us Christians are free, we can drink with them and still have Jesus. You will not win. They will want you to live like they live. Ephesians five, verse five. Now, this is this is a little salty. This is a part of Ephesians we don't read much. <laughs> Verse five says, for this, ye know, that no whoremonger, whatever that is, but it's got words in it that makes us think we know what it means, nor unclean person. That's not talking about needs a bath, nor covetous man who is an idolater hath any inheritance in the kingdom of Christ and of God. Now, let's just make sure we understand that does not mean that you're going to hell. It means that you're not going to participate in the kingdom. You're not going to have life and life to the full. Because your life as acting like a sinner. In other words, it doesn't mean if you've ever done anything that's unclean that you're 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 the doors closed to you. It could be if you've got to get born again. But it does not mean anybody that has ever done any of these things is barred. Actually, this is talking about someone that habitually commits these things. They're not going to participate in the kingdom, the blessings of God. Let no man, but lots of people throw you out of church for that. Let no man deceive you with vain words, for because of these things cometh the wrath of God upon the children of disobedience. It sounds like just where we're reading in Corinthians. The children of disobedience. One version says the children of disobedience and rebellion. So it's not passive. We always thought the people in our little town, West Texas, that their failure to get into church was a time issue or an interest issue or a, they'd been hurt. Somebody had hurt them, which is pretty common. Everybody that I know had, that's in the world has had an experience with a Christian. 
whether a preacher, an elder, a deacon, or just a regular Christian, they saw bar, beer in their pickup or whatever, and they just said, I, I'm, not, I'm through with them. But rebellion is when you're active. Passive is when you just don't want nothing to do with those people. But rebellion is when you try to undermine. It says, uh, verse 7, Be not ye therefore partakers with them. For ye were sometimes darkness, but now are ye light. How many of y'all would agree with me that we were one time darkness? None of us were born, born again. Well, actually we were. The, the age of accountability, we were alive unto God until the age of accountability. But after that, we became sinners. You were sometimes darkness, but now are ye light in the Lord. Walk as children of light. For the fruit of the Spirit is, all good, is in all goodness and righteousness and truth, proving what is acceptable unto the Lord. So what you do portrays what you believe. And have no fellowship with the unfruitful works of darkness, but rather reprove them. So like rebellion has an active ingredient in it. He's saying we can't be passive about unfruitful. What's it say? Unfruitful works of darkness. He said, but rather reprove them, reject them, call them out. There's a lot of room there. You don't have to get vigilante about it. But you can't be passive, can you? For it is a shame even to speak of those things which are done of them in secret. Now there we're going. Whatever you think the sinner, the, the unsaved, the unregenerate are capable of, you have no idea. You have no, because everybody puts on their best thing in public. And, but you know what Christians are capable of. Y'all say amen when you get it. You know what capable, but we know that because we've all done that. We've all thought thoughts that are just, we, we, couldn't, we couldn't pull the truth out of you for anything because they're so, so terrible. It is a shame to even speak of these things which are done of them in secret, but all things that are reproved are made manifest by the light for whatsoever doth make it manifest is light. Wherefore he saith, Awake thou that sleepest, and rise from the dead, and Christ shall give thee light. See then that ye walk circumspectly, not as fools, but as wise, redeeming the time because the days are evil. Let's see here. Uh, Wherefore be ye not unwise, but understand what the will of the Lord is. So it goes on there. But the point is, is there's a line of some kind between us and the unrighteous, the sinner. But yet I see people, I hear of people that are going to get married. And one of them is obviously born again. And you say, well, how is, what about Sweet Pea? What, what this girl that you're dragging around, what, what is she? Well, we've never talked about it. We've never talked about it. It's just not important to us. We'll figure that out later. How many of y'all have seen a recipe for, yeah, for death in many, by many things? Or, or uh, 
Well, just a number of examples. Don't make me go list them, making them up, but, but that one would work for sure. That you'd marry someone and it wouldn't be the first question. That you'd actually go out with someone without knowing they were born again. It's like, well, what difference does it make? I like her. And, and if it's a problem, I'll get her born again. Yeah, she is sweeter than that. Come here, big boy. I will, I'm going to take you down. And you, yeah, it's not going to happen. That's what it's talking about. Well, my best friend's not saved. And I just don't, but we're best friends. And I just don't want to, I don't want to bring it up because it might hurt his feelings. Wow. See, something, something's missing in our walk. Now, here's where, where I, if, if I don't have time, this is where I'm going with it. We want the promises, and the promises are ours. But the whole word is the counsel in order to have those promises revealed and brought into ownership in our life. If we want to be healed, whole, and healthy, if we want to be full, supplied, and wealthy, but we want to just rip out a section of it and say, ah, I don't want to, I don't, that's uncomfortable. That's not how I believe. That's not how I go. That's fine. We're all going to, on the sweet by and by, we'll all be over the, yonder. But you won't have the, the sweet life here. And that's the contradiction, is that churches and Christians in those churches, we put up with not wanting to know why the word does not manifest in our life. Why do I not have what the word says I have? And why can I not do what the word says I can do? God's not in control. He's not in control in any way. So if our conviction for the truth is blunted, we're intimidated by other people. And this is where I'm going. We're intimidated by other people. We're intimidated by the majority. I want to tell you this morning, River Church, you are the leftover. You are the, the, uh, the residue, the remnant, as it were, of everyone that is intimidated by the majority. Because we have such consensus in us. We, so many people, so many Christians do not know who they are. They don't know who they are. And so they're very insecure, very fearful, very intimidated. So they want to run with the herd. So they run with the herd. Where's the herd going? They must be right or there wouldn't be so many of them over there. And so uh, it's the born again man or born again woman that does not know the truth. And these are parts of the truth. Now, you don't have to. It's not saying get vigilante and get up there. And all of a sudden, one day you get up and say, I can't be friends with any more with you anymore. Best friend, you got to hit the road and take. Give me, you know, you loan. I borrowed. Uh, I loaned you my hammer and my my blower. I want them back before you leave and all that. You know, it's not a big ultimatum thing. It's just that we get more activated about saying, I want you to be my friend, but you got to be born again. And, my, and then you start sharing your testimony. I used to be just like you, Jack. I used to be fearful and, and didn't know my future. But then Jesus, and you give your testimony. 
You all all have your testimony written down. That you can access it, not by paper, but you can access it. It's been rehearsed where you know what your testimony is. And if you don't have one, you need to stop and find it because you do have one. My testimony is I was a good, good, good boy. I don't have a flaming destruction story that says I was at the end of it and everybody was mad at me and I'd been in jail 60 days and whatever. I just never got in trouble. But I just fell in love with Jesus and, and my girlfriend went to church. And my mother said, the only way you're going to get to go to town is if you're going to church. There's lots of other factors in there, but in that process, I got born again. Hallelujah. Proverbs 29, 25. Let me just read it to you. Don't go there. The fear of man bringeth a snare. Say it with me. The fear of man bringeth a snare. Do you think that's true? The fear of man bringeth a snare, but whoever putteth his trust in the Lord shall be safe. So I heard about recently, I heard about this intimidation, the fear of man. And how it rules our life and how we are shut out of the sweet things, the sweet, the precious things of the kingdom that are reserved for his, his children. They're in the word. It's in the MSRP. Saying this is yours. It's on the sticker. Hold me to it. So I heard about a, a, a school and uh, uh, a mama in the school has a daughter and her daughter comes home all the time and says, I hate my clothes. Well, that's the dress code, mama tells her. It's the dress code. Well, I hate it. Nobody else is wearing what I'm wearing. So mama, you know, she's in angst a little bit and she says, well, I'll call the principal. So the principal's called and said, what's up? Said, I'm, I'm getting grief from my children all the time because she is wearing the dress code, he's wearing the dress code, but nobody else is. And that only five in the whole student population are wearing the dress code, which I don't know what that is. It'd be longer and whatever a dress code is that's more proper. It doesn't have words on the shirt and all that. You know what I'm talking about. So the principal said, well, Mama, I understand what you're saying. It is a problem. Said, I get calls every day from mamas that say, I'm not wearing, that have notes saying, Dolly has got to get in the dress code. Her skirts have got to come down or, or whatever, whatever. And she, the principal said, I get calls all the time. And the mamas tell me, Susie is wearing what's in her closet. End of story. We're not, we're not going to conform to the dress code. The dress code is irrelevant here. It's just something where intimidation is exacted. So that mother has to face her daughter and say, you have to be different. Well, I don't know what you remember about being 13, 14, 15 years old, but peer pressure is a real, it's a real thing. And we don't want to be one of five out of a population of 395 or whatever that has the dress code. So what do you do? 
So you get grief from your kid and you hate to face it. So you either bend, bow, or burn. We're all facing something like that. We're putting it in a, an abstract setting here, but we all face it. The boss says, you got to work Sunday. Well, boss, we had a deal. I don't work Sundays. He said, well, I really need you. We're having a big weekend and I need everybody to be in there. Well, boss, I go to church on Sunday. He said, if you want to work here, you're going to have to be here. It's like that. Y'all know what I'm talking about? Yeah. It's intimidation to conform. Uh, Five-year-olds having telephones. You go, what parent would do that? Well, the parent that said we are doing it because if he has an emergency, we want him to be able to call us. Well, I've looked at five and six-year-olds, and they're pretty adept at the phone. Matter of fact, I, I engage in no contest myself with a five-year-old. <laughs> Fat fingers. When she says four hours with her thumbs, I have, I have an out-of-body experience right there. I, I have no relationship to this woman that's got thumbs that can go four hours. Each one of mine is capable of mashing four and a half keys each with every push. Fat finger, yes ma'am. So they say, we want him safe. We want him to be able to call us in case danger comes. What is that? That's fear. First Corinthians chapter six, please. We're talking about the new birth. We're talking about put on the Lord Jesus Christ. We're putting on who we are. We're dressing the part. If you're in a play or a drama or something, you remember there was a costume assigned to you and you could not interchange the costumes. You couldn't be the, the knight in shining army, armor and, and still be Rapunzel that climbs down the, the, the side of the tower with long locks. Well, that's not a good example, but you couldn't be Goldilocks and Cinderella and the three bears. You had to get your costume right. Well, we, we're, we're trying to get our costume right, our, our, what we put on. Now, I'm going to tell you something I say sometimes, but I want, to, I want to make it a point here. Access is not permission. That's a kingdom principle. Access is not permission. Access, I can do it, is not permission to do it. In 1 Corinthians chapter 6, verse 12, it says, it says, all things are lawful unto me, but not all things are expedient. Access is not permission. All things are lawful for me, but I will not be brought under the power of any. The Amplified says, everything is permissible, allowable and lawful, for me, but not all things are helpful, good for me to do, expedient and profitable when considered with other things. Everything is lawful for me, but I will not become the slave of anything or be brought under its power. So just because you can do it doesn't mean that God has sanctioned it. 
It's not even like, doesn't mean it's even good for you. That's what it says here. The chapter 10, verse 23 says, all things are lawful for me, but all things edify not. They're not all good for you just because everybody else is doing them. Listen to me. You can do a lot of things in the world that the Lord doesn't say yes to. Just because they won't lock you up, they won't call you out, they won't arrest you or whatever, does not mean you're a, you abide. We live by a higher standard. But we have greater aspirations. We're, we're not looking for the world to bail us out financially or, or with medical insurance or whatever that, that they do. So we, we have a higher law. So just because you can... Now, this, this mama says, now I know that they're not going to enforce even the five that have been doing the dress code. I don't want to face my daughter every day. I'm going to start letting her wear ungodly or unprofitable or unedifying or, or whatever stuff that even the school says is ungodly or ungainly. See, this is the school with the dress code. So there must be something that's over there. They're saying, we don't want that in our school. Well, that's how many of y'all think that might be amazing, whatever that is, that a school would find something off limits. So the daughter says, I want to be like all the other girls. And just kind of throws a fit. Which kind of gets to me anyway, that a child could get away with throwing a fit. Just call me old school. It never happened. It's not happening. It will never happen. So what do you do? You bend, bow, or burn. You, you say, we can get by with it. They're not going to enforce it. But what have you taught your daughter? Oh, my. That access is permission. If we can, we should. So let's take it to the church. I'm still talking about the new birth here. I'm talking about how we are different. We are not like the world. Therefore, we don't have permission to act like the world. So let's talk about spectator church, which is a, a devolvement. I say it's a devolvement in our culture. There's always been churches, the Presbyterians and the and uh, whatever the, the, the liberal, the church has always had a liberal side because church is political. Church is everything the world is. They just have long seats and they have a pulpit at the front and generally an organ over his shoulder. But it's exactly like a Senate hearing, just like a, it's like it's everything the world is. It's just got long benches and a pulpit. And everybody gets in there and they says, oh, it's got a cross of it. Don't forget the cross. That makes it different. But it's not different. It's no different than the people that are in there and the decisions they make. Unless they are influenced by something that's in the MSRP, they make decisions just like the world. So the outcome of the church, as it were, a spectator church, is exactly what the world would be. So you have access. You can do it. You can have that kind of church. You can have it and God will not smite you and bomb you with lightning and and withhold from you. He will not take your kids away from you and lose your job. Nothing will happen. But you won't be like the church. 
because access is not permission. He's not giving permission for that, but people do it anyway. So I wrote down that praise songs that please people can be accessed. We can sing anything we doggone please. And you can change the words just a dab and you can sing it at a concert, a secular concert. I heard about a concert that cost $800 a ticket. If I told you who it was, you'd go, no way, but yeah. I think it's a good idea for the church. Y'all bring your checkbook next Sunday. (laughs) (laughs) So we could sing anything we want to. But what are we singing when we sing songs that don't please God? In other words, we're pleasing. We're singing songs that we like. We're having a concert. We're singing songs that we enjoy. Doodle-doodle-doo and the drum beat and the guitar and the horns and the whatever. And the words, the words, the words are pretty irrelevant. It doesn't matter. But what if the Lord's real interested in words? What if he's got a full-time angelic choir that just circles him for eternity, saying the Lord is good and his mercy endures forever? Why would anybody want that or do that? I don't know, but it lays down a pattern of what he likes. So access is not permission. Well, we went to, that's what my church sings. Well, so that you have access, you can, but does God like it? Oh, we never thought of that. This is church. What are you, what are you talking about? Picky? Yes, I'm picky. I'm, I'm just picking here. I want to provoke you to love and good works. If, if the salt has lost its savor, what good is it except to be trod underfoot? I don't want us to ever lose our savor. I want us to be bold without being weird. Although we will be a little weird in our boldness. Isaiah 5.20 says, Woe unto them, listen, 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 Woe unto them that call evil good and good evil that put darkness for light and light for darkness, that put bitter for sweet and sweet for bitter. The Lord's saying that he notices, even though almost all churches or all peoples don't notice, and when they do notice, they think it's no big deal. Just because something happens at church does not make it New Testament. Paul said to put the man out of the church in 1 Corinthians 5, I believe. He was doing terrible things with his stepmother. And he said, put her out of the church. Well, she was, he was in the church, wasn't he? He was in the church because he said, put him out of the church. So things can happen in church that God doesn't like. But God doesn't say, or I will smite you all, or I will make... Paul said, put him out. So could there be carnal hirelings in pulpits that just are political pawns, that it's just a job? 
That's the problem with my family. They think I just have a job. What do you do for a living? It's pretty insulting on the one hand, but I understand. That's how they think because that's what they're used to and that's what they have in their church is a, is a, is a, a carnal hireling. That the pastor recently, they came to him in his church. The deacons came to him in the church and said, it looks like when we don't give on Sunday morning in the plate when it goes by, it looks like we're cheap. But we give a different way, but we don't want people to think we're cheapo. So we want you to quit passing the plate and put a box in the back. And everybody will just give in the box and that way nobody will know whether we give or not. They'll just assume we do. And guess what the carnal hireling did? The box went in the back. Because he's not in charge. He's, he's not the guardian of the truth. He's not the... Why do people go to these churches? I can tell you they want to go to heaven and they want to bury mama in the back or marry, marry their daughter or whatever they do. Lots of people go to church. They have a church on speed dial or on hold because there are certain things that you need a church for that you, you just don't want to wing it without a church. And we, people like me get calls from people that don't have a church and say, would you? Well, I got to quit, but I don't want to. I think I won't. You didn't tell them I was out at 12. You just told them we're out at 8 on Wednesday. Oh, okay, yeah, okay. I want to tell you something this morning. Since I'm on this, I kind of like to get it out of my system so y'all can not be afraid to come back next week. But a true Christian is the most prized creation there is. Not angels. Nothing. A true Christian is at the very highest of the most esteemed, the most valuable, the most honored of all of God's creation. Now, he made all people with that prospect to get born again. Read what's in the MSRP and become what that is. But I want to tell you, doctors unless they're born again, we're, we're talking about not born again, doctors do not know what to do. Well, I've been to school. Doctors do not know what to do. Your employer does not know what to do. That's why they'll work you on Sunday. If I was an employer, I would not work my people on Sunday because my employees would be the ones that would tell me I am good for you. I will not steal. I'm going to be honest, transparent. You'll always know everything about me. And I need Sunday to be what I am on Monday. So don't, I'm not going to work on Sunday because I want to be who I am on Monday. And as an employer, I'd say, you're the most valuable of all people. So if you present yourself that way and say, I don't work Sundays. Presidents don't know what you know. Financial advisors, school teachers, college professors. Take my bow here. 
If they're not born again, they don't know what to do. They don't know what to tell you to do. Politicians don't know what to do. Movie stars, doggone sure don't know what to do. So I wrote, the, the reason I want to go a little longer is I want to read these. I want to talk to you about who you are. I want to read you a small summary of your MSRP. Would that be all right? Second yes. Corinthians 8, 9 says that you through his poverty might be made rich. It's on the MSRP. Rich. Made rich. Wasn't born that way, but was made rich. John 4, 23. True worshipers shall worship the Father in spirit and in truth. Why? For the Father seeketh such to worship him. He seeks people to worship him in spirit and in truth. Well, Lord, your songs are not on our playlist. Uh, it goes on. God is a spirit and they that worship him must worship him in spirit and in truth. Hebrews 2, 8, thou has put things, thou has put all things in subjection under his feet. For in that he put in subjection, he put all in subjection under him. He left nothing that is not put under him. So we have dominion. He's put everything under our, under his feet. Well, we're in the body. Are you in the body? Well, then you're, you're at least in the feet. First Corinthians 2, 16, but we have the mind of Christ. It's in the MSRP. It's not an accessory. It's standard equipment. First uh, Corinthians 1.30. I like this one. But of him are ye in Christ Jesus, who of God is made unto us wisdom and righteousness and sanctification and redemption. Wisdom. He has been made unto me wisdom. I am never a dummy. I have the mind of Christ and the wisdom of God is in me. I may have to go off and pray in tongues just a little bit. I may have to go off and meditate the word a minute. But the wisdom of God, the wisdom of almighty God of heaven itself. Is already in me and in you. It's in the MSRP. It's standard equipment. Uh, I'm not through yet. Ephesians 3.10 to the intent that now under the principalities and powers in heavenly places might be made known by the what? The what? The manifold wisdom of God. The angels are listening for the wisdom of God. Where? Oh, we, we, got a, we got a staff meeting this morning. It's Tuesday. We always meet the third Tuesday of every month and God tells us his wisdom. That's not how it works. It's in us. Oh, you go, that's got to be an accessory. Standard equipment. I'm sorry, but it's already in there. First uh, Peter 2:24, "But we, being dead to sin, should live unto righteousness." In other words, live like righteousness is our life, by whose stripes you were healed. Standard equipment. Oh my. Philippians 4.13, I can, I can do all things through Christ, which strengtheneth me. All things. I can do all things. I can do everything. All things. Standard equipment. Mark 9.23, if thou canst believe, all things are possible 
all things are possible to the most elitist and special people that God's picked out. Oh, to him who believes. It's in me. Isn't this good? Yes. Mark eleven twenty four. What things soever ye desire when you pray. Can I pray? Can you pray? We can pray. We can pray. So what things soever I desire of him when I pray, I'm going to pray. Believe that you receive them. I can do that. I, it's, it's in my MSRP. What things he desires when he prays. He believes he receives it. That's in there. It's not an option. Believes he receives it. He shall have. He shall have what things he desires. I'm telling you, this is just the short list. You know, I just... And you know the list. So quit taking less. And quit and start saying, I want the whole thing. Am I ever going to use Bluetooth? If not now, probably not. But I want it on there because it says it's on there. And y'all can tell me what Bluetooth is later. I know what Bluetooth is. I have daytime running lines. Take that forward. <laughs> so my thing, I'm going to finish this. Quit. Quit expecting God to bless you through the unbeliever. Or the baby Christian. Now the wealth of the sinner is stored up for us the righteous. But they are doing it in, in, without cognitive. They, they, they don't know. They store it up and then it's taken away from them for you and I. But you've got to be in faith about it. That translation, that transaction, that moving of stuff over is in relationship to the covenant that you're in. My God is supplying all of my need. My God, it doesn't say my friend or my boss or my Uncle Jack, my God. Quit expecting for people. Listen, I, this is where I'm going. So I want you to hear this. Quit expecting for people to do right by you. They can't. It's not in them. Their MSRP says we don't know much. And we mess up what little we know. You got to get the wisdom of God going for you. You got to what things soever you desire when you pray going for you. They cannot give you what you want. They will not cooperate. They will not cooperate. They cannot cooperate. They, they will not give you because they cannot give you what you need. God is not in control, and these people are never, did I say it, are never your masters. It doesn't matter who they, what they pay you, what they promise you, what deal they made. They are never your masters in any regard or any dimension. They are never your masters. We are above. We are at the top. We are over all. Always. Well, they're pretty educated. They're pretty smart. They got along. Never. If you happen to find the will of God and it agrees with them, go with it, but not because of them. 
we say this, but there's only two things that mark your future. Only two, your future is, is entirely made up two things. The words you speak and the seeds you sow. The words you speak and the seeds you sow. You do not have a life apart from that. You say, that's not me. I, I, I say good things and I sow good things and I got a sorry life. So we just, we just hadn't heard it, but we know your words are not what you think and your seed are not what they think. Finally, he put the little paper in his Bible. Jesus is wonderful. He's made you wonderful. We mock the man, the story of the man that took the transatlantic cruise and had to eat crackers down in the hold to make it across the ocean back, back in the, the golden years. And on his departure, he said to the cabin master, I just, I was about out of crackers, but I, I knew I had to make it. And the cabin master said, sir, didn't you know that your voyage included all the meals? Wouldn't it be a shame for us to go through life thinking we had to eat crackers in the hold. Our ticket's complete. So I would read the MSRP about my life. I would read it. I'd believe it. I would activate it with my mouth, my faith through my mouth, and I would live another life. I would live another life, not the life we've been living, however wonderful that was, whatever of this we've all gotten and walked out, I would live another life. Let's go to heaven saying, it took me a while, but I got there. I lived the life he intended. And not go to heaven saying, you know, I just missed it. I was dumb as a rock. Amen. Well, let's sing a song this morning. Let's rejoice.